Hi there, I'm Robert Hurst, and I want to welcome you to podcast number three of Safe Zone. Let's roll. In the Safe Zone, we share ideas, actions, and practical tips to equip you with tools and peace of mind as you help create a safe and secure environment in your church or house of worship. Let's get into this episode of Safe Zone. Oh, I just don't understand it. Man, he was such a nice guy. Now, i got to tell you, if there's a phrase that really raises my hackles when it comes to this topic of church safety we're discussing this week, this is the phrase, and shortly you'll understand why. Recently, I asked a friend of mine, he's a, a practicing attorney, how often he receives calls into his office from churches who have just discovered, or rather uncovered, covert predatory activity or, or even sexual assault by a sexual predator. I asked him, I said, how often... Has this crime or does this crime take place during activities at a church? I really wasn't expecting what I got because, frankly, his answer shocked me. And I quote, he said, I now average three to five calls per day from churches looking for help, and most of them are already in trouble, end of quote. Now, for context, I need you to know that this attorney focuses his efforts on helping churches prevent this particular tragedy, because it simply destroys lives, it drowns churches with sorrow, and and many times will lead to their demise and and eventual closure. So he normally will sit in defense of churches when they are uh, faced with this particular type of crime, but he also wants to see them come up with ways to stop it before it happens. Because in addition to the havoc that is absolutely wreaked on the lives of young people, and the families involved, this kind of incident, folks, is going to destroy a church emotionally, it will destroy it financially, and it will many times do this quicker than all the violent incidents that you can imagine put together. Here's the deal. With cleverness, with practice manipulation, and incredible deafness, sexual predators exploit vulnerabilities within our churches to gain access to children. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not trying to frighten anyone this week, but you deserve the facts. This activity doesn't happen everywhere. Let's just be clear about it. It does not happen everywhere, but it can happen anywhere. And it's happening way too often, and too many churches wish they had thought about it and grappled with that fact sooner. Now, I've been doing this church safety and security thing for a little over, well, right at 10 years at this point. So I've talked to thousands of people that represented hundreds of churches and across just about every denomination you can name. And very few expressed a keen awareness of the potential for sexual predation in the church. And what really shocked me was, as I would discuss it with them, fewer even had already taken steps to address the issue by actively working to prevent it. I mean, let's face it, stop it ahead of time. You don't have to worry about the ramifications after it's already occurred. Most, I found out, believed that it could never happen in a church such as theirs where, and here's another thing you can kind of put in quotes, oh, everyone knows everyone. Well, here's the unfortunate fact. Over 95% of all victims of sexual predators knew their perpetrator well. And let's face it, too many times it was a family member, um, it was a coach, it was a church volunteer, church staff member, or even, and this just blows me away, it was a peer, 
someone their age or just a few years older who committed the act. Now, let's face it and be very honest. Just Let's just open it up and be blunt about this. The physical and emotional carnage of sexual predators cannot be quantified, nor can it be qualified. What often can be quantified, however, are the lawsuits. The lawsuits that are going to follow in the wake of this destruction, some of which have have, uh, have had the impact of just simply decimating churches. Now, where do I get this type of information? I know I'm being kind of bold here. Let me introduce you to a resource that you need to know about, uh, an attorney who represents many churches at the courthouse. His name is Mr. Greg Love, probably one of the preeminent attorneys who deals with this type of factory. He has a wonderful site called Ministry Safe. Now, you can get a link into their site by going to our homepage, and that's www.safe2worship, S-A-F-E-T-O, worship.com. And years ago, Greg has this wonderful story, and I don't think it's wonderful, neither does he. It's just a fact of how they got into this, he and his wife, and began to have to deal with churches that were having these issues, and it became an area of focus, mainly because Greg is a believer, and they felt that churches needed to get onto the cutting edge, the front edge of this, but for years they couldn't get them to do it. And then as they had the opportunity, they started this site called Ministry Safe, where you can get absolutely wonderful training. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But he revealed to me that on average, when I asked him, I said, Greg, when churches are sued these days, now this data that I'm giving you is current as of about nine months ago. So I'm not giving you something that popped up two or three years ago. I'm giving you current stuff. I said, what is the average settlement against a church when something like this happens? And he revealed to me that on average, he is seeing settlements top $750,000 or more. Now, obviously, as an average, that means some suits are settled for less, some for a great deal more. So let me just ask you a simple question. Can your church afford the expense of a $750,000 hit on next year's budget? See, that's crazy, but that's what's happening. And depending on your role in the church, you may be aware of and believe that, okay, we've got the right insurance, no problem, Bob, you're not talking to us because we've got the insurance that can take care of our church. And you know what? The right insurance can serve to save your church in times like this, but only if you read the fine print carefully. You see, most policies include one of two, one or both of two things that limit the amount of insurance that will be paid on behalf of the church. Number one is an area called limits. You can look for that in your policy. And another one is the area called exclusions. Now, let me give you a couple of disclaimers here before we get started. No, I am not an insurance expert. As a matter of fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a professional risk manager who's had to deal with risk management and things such as policies and limits and exclusions, etc. We're going to have a podcast with him, um, and you're going to want to hear that. And I'm trying to get him to do a blog post or at least help me get one together. So we're going to get this out there in way in a way that you can understand it, you can reach out to your church and help. But the other thing is I'm going to be reaching out to Greg to see if we can also have an interview with him sometime in the near future. So got lots of professional people that I'm picking the brains of. But this thing of limits and exclusions, both of these two guys have come back and said, yes, this is where churches 
are really getting clobbered. Because, see, a limit, uh, in your policy, a limit is typically stated as the maximum amount that the insurance company is going to pay for either a separate incident or maybe uh, an aggregate, or, or that means a collection of grievances in cases in which the church is found to be at fault. Now, here's what that means. If you have a child do an outcry in the law enforcement world, an outcry is where the child says or gives an indication or states something that says, I have re- been a victim of sexual abuse. And uh, most states now are becoming mandatory reporting states in one way or the other. We'll touch on that in a moment. But I know that in Texas, which is where I am based and where I am from, you are mandated that if you hear an outcry from a child, you do not banter about among staff members about what maybe could, should be done. You have to call law enforcement because a crime has been committed. And what they're finding, and Greg has found over the years, is where there is one victim in these cases, usually particularly with churches, there are multiple victims. So the limit is going to say, church, if you're sued for... Let's say that you're, let's just pick them out. Let's say you have a $1 million limit or $1 million cap. That's the limit. And it's, they say, uh, maybe the first lawsuit comes at you at $4 million. Like we had one in West Texas a year ago. Church was sued for $4 million. Not certain whatever happened to that suit or what the settlement was. But if that settlement was made for $1 million for one victim, And there were other victims that came behind that also came forward and gave outcries and said, yes, this same act occurred to me at the church or during church activities, the same person. That church could potentially be on the line for every other settlement because the limit of their amount was capped out at the first victim. Does that make sense? So limit is typically the the maximum amount the insurance company is going to pay either for a separate or for a collection of grievances if the church is found at fault. Now, the exclusion section is different because what that lists is clearly lists what the policy will not cover. Here's why that is important. I've had church leaders say, yes, but we have professional errors and omissions and professional liability. Folks, you need to go back and start looking at your policies carefully because more and more of them are beginning to classify anything that would be called a criminal act by a staff person or a volunteer. And by the way, child sexual assault is a crime in all 50 states in the United States. Many of these policies are quietly beginning to say that is an excluded item. In other words, if they've committed a crime that is prosecutable under law, We will not cover that at all. And now that leaves the church liable for the damages totally. And like I said, we're going to have a separate blog on this as well as a separate podcast coming soon. And so if you have specific questions, what I'd like you to do is um, send us a a request or specific question in on our comments page. You can get that hopefully at the end of this podcast or in the uh, show notes, or you can do it from our website. But if your church is not absolutely certain what coverages they have, Somebody needs to sit down and read that policy and then have your key leadership people take a look. And they need to do it now because here's why. Some people rely on the size of the church as a mitigating factor for this type of activity. In other words, they say, okay, 
the church is so large, we are equipped with adequate resources to prevent this sexual predator, um, so there's not going to be a problem. Wrong. There's the other end of the spectrum where people naively say, well, we're such a small church that we're going to be able to spot issues before they grow into an evil outcome. Wrong again. Sexual predators are opportunists that do not consider church size. True sexual predators will literally move. They have found a pattern of moving from church to church to church. And they will go, I like the way Greg Love puts it, he says, they will go where the walls are the lowest. So know that it can happen at your church. Know that it may be happening. And please don't be one of those that one day comes up to me and says, yep, it happened. And let me tell you the just negative fallout that happened. So what can we do? There are some things that you can do. First of all, you know, the first step in this is like many things. It's acknowledge that sexual predators could hide and sexual predators could happen in your church. I like to tell people, you know, when you hide your head in the sand like it's never going to happen to you, it always exposes a very vulnerable spot on the body. And bad things still happen even or especially when we try to ignore the possibility that they could be happening. So don't ignore it. Acknowledge that it could happen. Acknowledge that it could happen in your church so that at least you can get past that first mental block and begin to move forward into something productive and making sure it doesn't happen. Second thing you need to do, develop and then truly implement a written policy that provides explicit, relevant, and tangible guidance to staff and lay people. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, when I say develop and implement, I have in my years, I've been doing disaster, emergency, crisis, emergency work for 40 years. I've seen people write these policies and they'll They'll be great in writing, and they'll put them in a three-ring binder, then they'll slide them in a desk drawer and pat themselves on the head and say, my, what a good person I am. I have a policy. That does you no good if it's not implemented. So you take the policy, and then you implement it, and you make it explicit to what you're trying to do. But at the same time, you make it relevant. What really happens? I like what attorneys say to me and have said to me for years Uh, In all areas of law, they'll say, you know, there's what some people will write down that they're going to do, but then there's what they really do. And when the lawsuit occurs and I put them on the stand, guess what? What we're really doing is what we're going to be going by, not necessarily what they wrote down. So make sure it's relevant. Make sure it gives real guidance, tangible guidance that's very uh, easily set out. It's very easily implemented. And I got to tell you, there's, there's a lot of resources out there. So Uh, it's not that hard to do that these days. And I'll I'll give you a a place to do that. As a matter of fact, if you have questions about what you could need to include in your policy or what considerations to make, once again, I recommend and point you back to ministrysafe.com. Now, once again, you can reach them through our website. We have an, an agreement with them. And let me tell you right up front, this is not an affiliate relationship where I get any kind of money from them. My goal right here, folks, is... We've got to stop this from occurring in our churches. And I am so proud of the fact that we can partner with Ministry Safe to help try to make you and your church safer. So you can go to our site, you can link into theirs, because they provide an organization with a multi-layer approach to helping to prevent this from happening in the church. And what they'll do in their site is they'll provide several model policies, they'll give you guidelines, 
And these policies and guidelines can be used by churches of basically any size. So once again, go to safetoworship.com, and you will find under announcements where we have affiliated with uh, sending people over to their site. You'll get a direct link into their site for information and training. But you've got to do this. You've got to get the policies there. Because I will tell you this, if you don't have any written policies, 100% of the risk managers, 100% of the attorneys say if there is nothing in writing, when you get to court, whatever took place in actual physical fact is what is considered to be your policy. And you're just a, a sitting duck at that point. So first of all, Admit that it could happen. Acknowledge it. Just say, okay, let's, let's know it could happen and let's get something done. Secondly, get a written policy in place. Now, step number three, develop and implement a program that provides training to your people. But not only provides training, it puts accountability at all levels of the church. And once again, you're going to find great guidelines for this at Ministry Safe. They're an excellent resource. The program is extremely affordable and by the way, I know there are other programs out there, and I acknowledge that, and great. But what I'm finding is many people that will come up to me and say, oh, I'm with such and such denomination, and we use, and they'll give me the name of their program, and I'm like, well, that's super. Well, I'll find out later that really what it is is the ministry-safe material, but they built a separate, what I call an internet front door, so it looks like it's theirs. That's fine. Greg's not into this to make a lot of money. He's into this to make people safe, just like me. And I'll tell you what, for a few hundred dollars a year, for proven tools that can help your church protect against this particular issue, and that's a worthy investment, particularly when you consider the lives at stake and the tremendous financial devastation that can occur to churches. Fourth, the fourth step, make certain that your staff, your ministry volunteers, and even your security and safety team members are completely trained and in agreement on this area of concern. Here's why. And this comes from my law, law enforcement background. Many times a victim will make an initial outcry. And I told you that is when a kid will make, give an indication, a verbal indication, I have been the victim of some type of crime. And they'll give this outcry regarding a sexual predator to someone that that child thinks is an authority figure, or maybe they think they have the power to help. Too often in the past, this authority figure will turn a blind ear, or I mean a deaf ear or blind eye, and say, oh, no, you're imagining, um, fill in the blank for the excuses we'll hear. We can't have that anymore. Your team members are going to need to know how to respond um, professionally, quietly, but immediately in the eventuality that they are approached by a child. So make sure everybody is trained. Make sure they're in agreement on how it's going to be handled. So that's four steps. But finally, this is the one. If churches drop it on the front end, many times we're all dropping it on the back end, and it's right here. We've got to be prepared to minister to those who maybe have already been personally impacted by sexual predation inside their church. And you know what? It may not be in your church. It may be in a church that they attended years ago, and now as an adult, it's coming out. And I got to tell you, there's been a few victims, more than a few, who have engaged me in conversation when I'm doing a seminar. At a break, they'll come up, and they'll say, tell me what happened. And, and nearly all of them, um, and I'm thinking as I'm, I'm saying this, I literally cannot think of but one church that was prepared, according to the victim, to minister to them. 
Everyone else has spoken of how their church at that time was simply not prepared, not prepared to identify the criminal. They were not prepared to minister to the deep anguish that they felt as a victim. And here's the deal. If you don't have a solid counselor available on staff or within the church, and that's going to be most of the churches in America, by the way. I acknowledge that because did you know that the average, depending on which study you look at, the average size church in America is somewhere between 94 and about 128 people. So we're not going to see a lot of highly trained counselors in our churches or in every church. But we've got to be prepared to connect victims with resources within the community to help bring healing and maybe a a path forward in life past this incident. Now maybe you begin to see why it really frustrates me to hear people continue to say, I'm just mystified when I hear them say, well, he seemed like such a nice guy. I just don't understand how this happened. It happened because we let it happen. It happened because we were not prepared. We would not even acknowledge in our mind that evil may try to come in the church. We would acknowledge, would not acknowledge that a wolf in a picture many times can be seen as a beautiful creature, and in life they can be seen the same way right up until the time they bite you. So let's do something about this. Let's take action on this. And remember, for more information on Ministry Safe, go to our website, www dot safe to worship dot com. Click on our announcements tab and we'll give you a direct link to Ministry Safe right there. Folks, the people you protect may need your trained assistance right now, but more importantly, the church you save may be yours. Until next time, be safe. That wraps it up for this episode of Safe Zone. Take what you learned here and help bring your newfound peace of mind to others by making your church a safer place to worship. I do ask two things of you. First, subscribe to our podcast by hitting the subscribe button in iTunes. And secondly, share our podcast link with others in your circle of influence. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's work together. God bless and have a great week.